0: Hi, I'm Super Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero Podcast. I'm recording it today in my kitchen, looking at the sky, which is sort of grey, but slightly sunny. And I think that's kind of the mood we're all in. We want to be sunny, but it's a bit Nuh. The weather's still not great. And today, uh, just hopefully within seconds of you listening to this, uh, you'll have the spring budget. Not much spring in the budget, I think, but a couple of lines that will be very interesting. Now, what's been leaked already is the energy price guarantee will stay at two and a half thousand pounds for the year. Now, that is obviously good news because, let's face it, a lot of people are still really struggling and this weather, the cold snap we've got, means the heating is still on. But there is a slight backlash to the fact that this is universal. Um, A few people have raised questions about whether it should apply to everyone. And again, I can see uh, some empathy in that. I have some empathy with that because Simon Burley, who's one of the consultants at KPMG said, look, if you look at this, yes, wholesale prices are going down. Uh, prices are still a lot higher than they were. And so people do need to fall, but should the cost of this, which is estimated to be 3 billion, and remember it's only until June, right? So it's only until June It's extended. it. Could that be better spent with uh, helping those who really need it the most? with social tariffs. I kind of think there's probably something about that that is not too far off. Look, I'm not going to say no, everyone getting help is great. But uh, if those who are in greater need get a greater proportion, for me, I think that's fair. We've got some more lines that we're expecting from the budget, particularly on nuclear and also on the general operation of Kind of uh, the energy markets and also this is the first budget officially talking about net zero because there's an official department for net zero so let's see what comes out uh, you'll have a better idea than me because i'm recording this about an hour before the budget we'll have a think now on to this week's podcast which is all about that topic you love electric vehicles now on the podcast we've talked about many things over the last year and a bit And one that keeps coming back, I don't know whether I'm obsessed with it, or basically, it's what you like listening to, uh, as our audience, is EVs. Now, everyone knows that EVs are already changing the way we see clean energy. In a way, they're the most obvious thing. You know, if you stop driving a car that's chucking out some black soot, you can think things are cleaner, and which is why the transport networks and, obviously, the government is looking at proving that this should be the kind of spear of net zero. And it's not just here in the UK, it's happening across the world. But one of the things that we're going to have with all of this is a chaos system that's already there. I've got an EV, and if you go and try and charge it, you have to use an app that works with my charger at home, but then you have to go to a charging station. There's another thing you have to download. And people are all very confused about, how this will all work? Where will the technology go? How do you make sure that these charging stations talk to your car, which then talks to the the grid and then helps to balance? There's a whole plethora of things to happen, and also people talk about, you know, how fair will uh, EV uh, expansion be? Is it just for rich people and rich nations, or could it be something that grows uh, across the world and is much more equitable, which is where we need it to be, so that in developing nations and, and places that are not as economically we- well off as us, we can see the same thing. Well, there's a company called EDRV, which is hopefully aimed to unlock some of this and make all this stuff um, more open. And uh, I'm delighted to say that Baskar who's the, the boss, the CEO, joins me now. Hello, Basker. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks, Smith. And thanks for having me here. What, what,
0: what, um,
1: but that was a bit of a ham-fisted
0: intro. But basically, what I'd like to understand is you work in this world, this techie world that everyone can see is very smart uh, around kind of how to improve the way that charging, cars and the whole infrastructure works together. How does how do how do these things work at present?
1: Right. So today, uh, what what is ha- happening is, of course, you know, unless you've been living under a rock, and uh, I, I don't think you have, there is a major global concerted push towards electrification of transport. Now, yeah. you can ask the question, why is that important? It's important because of climate change. It's important because transport as a sector. Uh, emits a significant amount of CO2 emissions globally. Uh, It is a major emitter in almost every country. And we need to change that. And then the way to change that is to switch from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles because electricity can be generated via renewables. And if we have an electrified transport system, we have an opportunity to decarbonize it. So very big picture, very high level. The reason this needs to happen is... Um, yeah. is decarbonization is decarbonization's important and electrification of transport is and, the way and, to and do it's, that.
0: It's got the backing of every major manufacturer and, and governments all around the world, but it's happening already, isn't it? Wherever you are.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, whether you look at the big push from the Biden administration, uh, whether you see the push from China, whether you look at almost every country in Europe, even in Asia, uh, you're seeing uh, a push by manufacturers you're seeing a push by the governments and 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 frankly evs are the next generation or the modern technology that you know that just make for pleasant driving and and consumers like them and that's why you're you're seeing more and more adoption which is you know increasing literally like 70 80 100% year on year in in many countries what's the problem
0: with them though because this is all you know i've got an ev and as i said at the in, in the intro you know it's fine if i charge at home but you suddenly, I mean, you go there, there's not enough infrastructure for a start, but B, nearly everything you've got to either go and download someone's app or you have to find someone. It's a bit of a mess, isn't it? And it's not just a UK problem. I assume it's a mess everywhere about how this, you know, different technologies, you know, the whole thing about even people having different chargers for a start, it's starting to, to have that whole thing that perhaps happened years ago with computers where you bought one computer and it had a different plug to talk to the printer than another and and, and then everything changed so can you explain to us where the state is of this kind of you know this 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 mass communication between evs and infrastructure is right now because it looks confused to me
1: and 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 if it looks confused that's uh you know that's because it is uh (laughs) and you know if and and frankly you know if, if you if you really think about you know the world we're living in you know maybe at the eve of you know the first first electric car uh being rolled out our first electric vehicle um we've had the last 100 or so years of, of building the fueling infrastructure that's needed for internal combustion engines there's Absolutely. tens you know, of thousands if not you yeah. know hundreds of thousands of you know gas refueling stations around every around the world every major country every highway you know every neighborhood every city now we need now to reimagine how refueling will happen for electric vehicles. Now, unlike the internal combustion engine, it actually turns out that electricity is available everywhere. So that's a massive opportunity. So you don't need to create these new, you know, very safe, uh, you know, fire hazard protected, you know, gas pumps. Um, You can actually charge it at home. So actually that's a big advantage, but therein also lies the complexity because now you can imagine a scenario where every building, every home, every highway uh, can theoretically be a, a, a gas, you know a fueling station. Yeah. But the problem with that is then how do we, first of all, get enough power, in a, enough electrons uh, at those locations where drivers may be when they want to charge. Uh, and at the same time, also then, how do we then start to l- start link linking the various elements of electricity supply you know how will drivers pay for it how will drivers find the chargers how will you know how will that whole refueling experience you know transform from Mm, the old internal combustion engine you go to a gas station you fuel up and you're on your way to i charge at home i charge at work i charge when i go to the supermarket and then i also charge when i'm going on a long road trip so what what essentially that translates into is refueling splits into where and when and, you know, how convenient or inconvenient it is at that time. So you're kind of now seeing the evolution of home charging, apartment charging, workplace charging, and then highway charging as different segments, which then cater to the type of use the vehicles being put into.
0: And all of those systems are very different, right? I mean, like you said, that it's a great explanation, which is, you know, we're all used to pull up to a, a petrol station, gas station, it's two, three minutes, refuel, and off you go. And you had a place and this infrastructure there. If I live in a 10-story block uh, and my car's parked downstairs, I can't drop a cable all the way down from my window and charge my car. And most of us Lou, who live in cities don't have any parking near our home. So all of these things mean that the infrastructure isn't quite there. But the other point before we talk about exactly what you're doing is I suppose these things aren't cars anymore, are they? They're sort of computers that that are talking to things.
1: Exactly, and and that's a, that's a good segue to talk a little bit about the connectedness of uh, of vehicles overall, and particularly of electric vehicles. Uh, a friend of mine um, actually put it in, in the most eloquent way. She said, "I've just switched to an electric vehicle. It feels like driving a mobile phone." And that's basically <laughs> that's not because, bad, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Exactly, because she's like, okay, I don't know where the wipers are in this thing, and I have to touch the touchscreen to activate the wipers. Well, because, you know, the technology, um, the technology world of software has advanced very rapidly. Now, pretty much every modern vehicle gets several over-the-air updates, maybe every month or, you know, every other week even. Um, Tesla had a major recall for some, some issues yes. they were facing in their vehicles. And guess what? They're going to push an update over the air. So the recall is really a recall in name only. The vehicles just stay where they are and then they get an update. So um, the reason I'm saying that is vehicles are connected today in a way that they've never been. It's been enabled by, you know, things like 4G, now 5G, and then and so much more that's been kind of going on under the hood. And what that also means is that there's a massive opportunity to take advantage of this connectedness of not just vehicles, but also the infrastructure around that, like you know, the cities you know, the public transport, um, the vehicles, the charging infrastructure, the electric grid, they can now all talk to each other. And that is opening up a massive opportunity uh, around what can be done. And that's kind of where eDrive comes in. So
0: if you look at where where we are now, and, and you're right, the the cutting edge is, is the Tesla. And I've been in a Tesla, can't quite afford one, but I've been in one. And it's just ridiculous. It's just a bit you know, mobile screen it looks like an iPhone screen. Yeah, that's pretty screen. much. Yeah. yeah, the one I drive is actually a car, so it's a Peugeot and it's got a windscreen wiper and all of that, and that's why. And there are different types that that, that people, are. but the end point is they are becoming much more like a computer on wheels. So, in terms of the way things are talking to each other right now, um, you know, is it really now? a bit of a wild west because you could buy a car and that that manufacturer gives you an app for your phone but then your charging point might have another app and then your energy supplier says well actually go on this tariff but that involves an app i mean what would you say the the problems are right now for making all of this very smooth and dare i say simple because I'm a pretty simple bloke, and I think most people just want be right. life. I don't want to be reading manuals or watching YouTube videos to know how to drive from A to B.
1: Of course, absolutely. And then most of us don't, right? We just want to we just want to be going yep. from A to B and then having a cup of coffee or that meeting. So you know, I, it's interesting, you know you brought up the analogy of the Wild wide West. Um, I would actually say that where the industry has been, was the Wild Wild West, and yeah. I would say maybe Tesla was the cowboy. Uh, yeah. I mean, very you know, fitting image of Elon Musk with yeah, the cowboy exactly. hat, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. but actually, actually, I think I think you know, and then you you can also imagine the early adopters or the first folks who yes. went and brought those electric vehicles. You know, the Nissan Leaves or the Teslas or you know the Peugeots or the Renos. Um, those were very much the folks who who truly believed in you know, a, a cleaner vehicle, a cleaner means of transport, wanted to contribute to, you know, a, a better environment and and so on and so forth. I think that's not the current generation of, I mean, of course those people are still there, but today more and more people are, EVs becoming mainstream are resulting in people just buying a vehicle because they want to go about exactly. their lives and, and, and exactly, exactly they, just, they just want it to do do its job and get out of its get out of the way and not you know cause more trouble and I think what that's kind of leading into is a, a demand for exactly the kind of things that you describe which is I need to know that it will work I need to be able to rely on it I need to be able to easily find um, where I can charge it where I can plug it in uh, how far it's going to go and yeah. and then just you know have a convenient experience for payments uh, for refueling. So today, the industry is under a lot of uh, pressure, rightly so, from the consumer who just wants a seamless, convenient experience of owning and driving an electric vehicle. And, and so what that then means for us working in the industry is we need to elevate our game. We need to uh, provide interoperable charging and EV access and EV use services. And when I say interoperable, it just simply means you know the end consumer should be able to choose what kind of application they use. Maybe they use Google Maps, maybe they just want to drive around, and maybe they want to use a, uh, something that sits in the dashboard of their vehicle. They need to be able to see every charger that's available around the country uh, yeah. or yeah. even another country if they want to do a long road trip. And they want a, a simple way to pay for that charging experience. and expect that it works when they arrive, and and then be on their way. So I think that's what is the current challenge. And interestingly, if you see the new regulation that's being announced in the UK, if you see the new Inflation Reduction Act, the announcement that happened by the Biden administration, they all talk about interoperability and convenient means of payment and discovery as the key enablers for that next phase of growth.
0: Your company does, uh, you're going to have to explain it for me, but you you work in this weird world that people have probably heard the phrase but have no idea what it means, API. So explain what an API is and what you're doing to make this whole kind of uh, charging and talking uh, interconnectivity much easier for us, the, the driver, the consumer.
1: Yeah, and yeah, so if you wanna imagine what an API is, I think the simplest way is to think of it as a Lego brick that you can use in any way to combine any shape that you want. So it's a little bit like a little piece of code that allows an application that sits on your phone to do something very specific. So every time you pick up your iPhone to maybe you know view that TikTok video or send an email, your phone is probably calling uh, you know, hundreds of APIs, maybe some from Google, some else, something else from Baby Notion or, you know, your email client or from Apple. Um, all of them are being used to implement or enhance the information that is, uh, that you're seeing and you're consuming, you know, in, in that application. So what we do as eDrive is we provide the APIs that help application developers control the charging hardware. So simply being able to talk to the equipment that's sitting somewhere along the highway, um, yeah. be able to transact on it. So, you know, when I want to top up my EV for maybe 10 kilowatt hours, then I maybe run a bill of say five pounds or 10 pounds. The transaction that happens underneath is facilitated by eDrive's APIs. So essentially just think of it as the building blocks that every application needs to implement or, just provide the EV driver a a seamless charging discovery and charging experience. So what are
0: you trying to do then? What what are you trying to do to make this easier? So in a way, I suppose, you've explained it very nicely to me, I suppose that's the beginning of where the whole idea of an app came, because the phone used to be, because I'm old enough, a phone made a phone call, and then Apple changed everything so that a phone could have lots of different things on it, which we now all take for granted. You can have a camera, yeah, you can have your banking app, you can do. You can look for food. You can do shopping. All of these things, but they all sit on the phone. So, are you saying that what you're trying to do is create um, sort of a platform for different kinds of things that will help me with my driving, so or help me to to, to navigate my way through what I'm trying to do in terms of using my car?
1: Yes and no. So, uh, so specifically the part of what the picture you painted there uh smith um we are only solving the piece around charging so when wow. you drive a car when you go from maybe you know you go from london to scotland you may need a lot of things so you will need to see the route so you yep. can plan it you yep. may want to see how the traffic is yep. uh you may also want to see how the weather is when you arrive so all that information is pulled together by you know, and you need to know where, different
0: where are the charging is and do they work which is very exactly. That, right?
1: so, so that's where we would come in. So we would, uh, so e APIs would enable information about where the charges are, whether they're available online right now, what is the price, uh, should you choose to stop there and, and then transact. And then also the ability to pay for charging when you actually arrive there. So um, enriching or providing um, information to businesses who want to run charging as a service and make that information available to drivers, uh, such as yourself, uh, when you're making that road trip, when you want to find one of our chargers and then to pay for it uh, when, you, when, you, when you top up.
0: So at present, um, you know, I don't know what you're doing in terms of kind of what your work in the UK, because I know you're sort of international, but you said, that, you know, the aim of what you're trying to do is making this much more accessible to everyone. So what are you saying? You're going to allow new developers to come up with apps that would help us, so nothing to do with the mode of manufacture, the same as, way as, you know, dare I say, Angry Birds came along and gave us a kind of whole new plethora of games. Are you saying that there, there's a potential in the world of sort of EV charging for, you know, new people to come in, create things that work to service this This industry that's now starting to grow up
1: right exactly so um so the reason for eDrive to exist is that remember in the beginning we talked about um when you switch from a gas station type of fueling to fueling everywhere you now need technology to enable uh, charging to happen everywhere right so you need uh charging at home home sorry um, in in an apartment uh, along the highway public charging location maybe in an office so The way eDrive approaches that problem is we generate or we create APIs for what I like to call the charging commons. By that, I simply mean, what are the things, the elements that every charging application needs? And fundamentally, you can break them down into a notion of who is the driver? How will the driver discover a charging station? How will the driver then transact at the charging station? And how will the driver pay for that charging transaction and then maybe get a receipt or some kind of a confirmation at the end. So what we then go ahead and do is we create a bunch of APIs that go down to that level and, and then they will facilitate the discovery, the transaction and the access uh, by the driver of the EV charging. So in a, in a nutshell, what we're enabling is for anyone to just pick up the right kind of hardware and let their imagination and their business requirements be the driver for you know what application they can build. So it's it's simply a, a toolkit that a company can use to um, to build uh, charting applications that just meet their needs.
0: Couple of questions before we end. Um, sure. How much is this? Dare I say, all first world? Yeah, you've got to have the infrastructure, you've got to have all the abilities, and it's fine where. Well, you are sitting in Amsterdam, or here I am in London, and it's great. But if I was in you know Dar es Salaam or in Dhaka or uh, in parts of Africa or, or the Philippines, I might not have that. Is there a real problem that all of this is great for sort of you know countries that are very developed but cannot really work for places where there's a lot of pollution? You know we're both originally from India yes. our families. You know, we know how polluted the, the cities are there every year, Delhi in particular just has a terrible smog, but there wouldn't be the infrastructure to do all this right now. So my question to you is, this is it sounds all great, but is it not really just for, for, for those of us who are frankly lucky enough to live in wealthy countries to do this?
1: So that's a very important question, and I think it's a, it's a pertinent one, because, um, you know, quite simply, as, as you said, you know, the people who are bearing the brunt of, you know, the worst air quality, they may not be in the Western world. Uh, but actually, the, the the good news here is that the shift to electric vehicles is a truly global shift. And then that's the best news, right? Uh, because you, you're, what you're starting to see is the, the shift is global, but. But the approach or, you know, the type of vehicle that you're, you know, seeing the most, you know, uptake on may be different. So again, in London, you would have seen there's, you know, lots of electric uh, buses, delivery vans, there are cars, there are also two wheelers, and there are even e-bikes, right? So exactly the same transition is panning out in emerging markets. But guess what? They rely significantly more on two-wheelers, maybe even three-wheelers like in India and like tuk-tuks, right? Uh, And so those are the segments that are seeing the biggest pickup in some of the emerging markets. Um, As eDrive, we have the largest charging network in in the country of Morocco, in Northern Africa. We have several customers in India and Southeast Asia, and they are using exactly the same technology to achieve the exact same goal of, you know, transport electrification, but the the transition is happening maybe in a different vehicle category, but that doesn't matter because what we really need is for those countries to also be able to shift, you know, those millions and millions of two wheelers, which were, you know, when I was growing up, they used to be two stroke engines and they were four stroke engines, but they were still pretty polluting. But, you know, now if you can shift to electric scooter, um, you know, those are, you know, it's just a it's just a different vehicle type but the same benefits also apply there and it, and then,
0: it, it can be a sort of global thing basca you think it, that there is there is a chance i mean it'll be a lot less and a lot slower won't it but you, you you're seeing this are you
1: I'm absolutely seeing this and I I I, I would also share that it's not even slower. It, in fact um it's as fast um because just maybe a, a single scooter doesn't emit as much as a, a car does but you know, the number of scooters is 10 times as much. So you're actually seeing an equally rapid shift from petrol and, you know, gasoline away and then towards electric, um, but driven by smaller vehicle types and smaller vehicle categories. What about
0: the integrity of places like, we've talked about, the electricity supply? The grid, all of that. Again, I, I remember in India, where I'm from, in Calcutta, they used to call it load shedding, constant power cuts. Now, that's a lot less. <laughs> yeah. everyone, had, yeah. everyone had a generator in the back of the shop. You, you don't want that happening in the middle of you trying to charge or your, your phone app trying to talk to something. So do you think that there is an element here that the, these can work? As you say, yes, maybe they're being picked up, but the infrastructures in these nations aren't ready for, for that kind of, to be robust enough and, and, and solid enough to rely on
1: um of course now the transport sorry the the electric infrastructure is definitely lacking in many of the emerging markets um but um what we're also seeing there's been a number of reports which talked about um the impact of electric vehicles if it is not managed then it can be a, a significant burden on the grid but the good news is that the kind of technologies that eDrive is working on and many of our peers in emerging markets and you know elsewhere are working on, you've heard of technologies like vehicle to grid, you've heard of yep, also maybe yep, yep. V1G, which is sort of just, it's called uh, managed charging, wherein charging happens in a way that is aware of the grid conditions and the energy conditions ah, okay. in the yep. broader, broader energy system. Um, those are massive opportunities to essentially go about this transition in a way that does not, you know, literally let, you know, blows the fuse, basically, like, or, or the kind of load shedding experiences that you talked about. Uh, but the technology is there. And in fact, we ourselves were involved in one project with a utility in the city of Delhi, wherein uh, we demonstrated that tuk-tuks, three-wheelers, which mm. are a major part of the local yep. delivery, you know, transport uh, system in the city of Delhi, could be managed, It uh, could be charged in a way that would reduce the demand on the electric grid. And and they do that simply by being aware of, you know, what are the times when electricity is expensive? What are the times when it is less so? And then moving that charging to happen at that time. And we've seen similar regulation in the UK where uh, again, the the government has mandated that charging happens late at night. Flexibility, yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And my last question is, you know, this is great. Um, you, you you seem fairly youngish to me, Baskar. I, I think probably younger than me for sure. But what about older people, right? Everyone knows how to fill up at a petrol station. Using mobiles, using apps, all of these things. You know, there's plenty of older people drive cars. And I'm not saying they're all Luddites and they don't know what it's doing. But a lot of people will will struggle with this. I have a fear that, again, this could be a nice... Real, real barrier to kind of EV adoption that's equitable because the technology, using an app, using your phone, all of that, the car that talks to you, and all that, it can be very, very disconcerting for a lot of people. I find it hard myself sometimes. But how do you think, you know, this this issue will affect your industry about how you take everyone on it, not just the the the, the poor and the wealthy, but in terms of age as well.
1: That's an excellent question. And I think, you know, there's no there's no silver bullet here. I think we as an industry need to need to come up with solutions that are better, that are accessible, that are easy to use and, and convenient and, and, and also provide multiple options to the the consumer, whether they're young, old, you know, safety is a big concern. Um, so I I, I think the the solution there is the industry and the industry is doing a lot of work, uh, on things, for example, uh, new protocols, you know, new standards for plug and charge where, you know, when you just plug in your vehicle, everything happens behind the scenes. So, you know, your car pays for itself. So there is no app you simply plug in and then everything happens behind the scenes. So I would say the solution there is more concerted effort by industry actors, uh, you know, better standards, better implementation, better quality, Uh, And then, of course, you know, last but not the least, you know, that the government plays a role here, because sometimes the government or the regulators can force industry to work together for the benefit of the the industry. That's what
0: we need to do, don't we? We need to make it as simple as we can to help. Yeah, I get that. Do you think, I often ask this, what the future will be, Um, how connected will we be in about 10, 15 years time, do you think, in terms of this? Will we have seen, you know, will we be talking in, if I talk to you in 10 years time... Most of us will be probably either having an access to a, an EV or have an experience of driving one, and will be used to this kind of new data world. Is that is that the vision you see?
1: Absolutely. So I think in in the in the future you can imagine a scenario where you know your home will probably have. Some kind of a battery storage. It probably already has solar panels. It'll probably also have a, a vehicle which can uh, enable bidirectional flow of electricity, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. between from and back to the electric grid, and and it would have smart systems that coordinate all of that, you know, at a at a regional and even a national level to determine what is the best, cheapest, and the most cleanest way for you to. You know, just just go about doing, you know, living your life and not having to worry about, you know, is my car going to be full for the next day? And, you know, will the lights going to stay on, um, you know, but, you know, you'd also have an energy efficient home that is aware of all these, you know, different pieces of uh, energy infrastructure that is distributed. Uh, Just being able to connect with each other and then respond in a smart way.
0: That's good. Thanks very much. You... Got me for most of it. I, I understood. So well done. You've you've done the bit that matters most.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're kind.
0: Thanks very much for joining us on the NetHero podcast.
1: It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me.
0: Complicated, but it makes sense. And I think that's what was about getting, uh, you know, the equitable nature of this transition out there. So that if you're going to get an EV, it shouldn't matter where you live. It shouldn't matter how much. Uh, you earn. You should have access to this new form of transport. Effectively, I think uh, eDrive. What they're doing is is a good idea. A couple of quick things before I go. Wow, got some uh, a record number of speaker names to let you know about, and I'm glad to say the majority are women. So Juliet Davenport, the president of the Energy Institute and the founder of Good Energy, will be speaking at the Big Zero Show. Gabriel Davis, who is head of Floating Wind at we will be speaking at the Big Zero show. Caroline Longman, who used to be at the National, in fact, she did the very first net hero podcast more than a year and a half ago. She now runs a company called Equilibrium, looking at how net zero and nuclear are compatible. And of course, Professor Patricia Thornley, who will be giving you the lowdown on everything biomass. Tickets are going. We've had 400 already taken. We have an allocation of 1,500, so apply for your free ticket now. Go to thebigzeroshow.com. We've got more uh, announcements to come, more speakers to come, but it's time for you to get involved. Get yourself down there because once we hit that 1,500, that is capacity, so we won't be able to let anyone else in. The tickets are free. Apply for them now on thebigzeroshow.com. Thanks for listening. We've hit 16,000 downloads. Hurrah, that's brilliant. Let's get a 20,000. Keep passing the word, let your friends know. My thanks to Rob for production this week and catch you soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net This Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. FutureNetZero.com. Better business. Better Planet.